I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are so excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome and thanks again for joining us. How have you been this last month? I've been fine, thank you, Mike. It's a great month. It's so good to be with you, Mary. Awesome. I know uh, your birthday was celebrated since last time we spoke to you. How, how was your birthday celebration? Was that good? You had a great time? There were more than one celebration, so yeah, it was very good. The high point was, uh, well, two high points. One, I had, the, on my birthday, I got to have a meal with my family members. Oh, that's cool. And uh, the other high point was I got the best birthday gift I've ever received. Huh. Someone, one of the priests gave me a relic of St. Philip Neri. So. Oh, wow. very nice. Very cool. Very cool. Way cool. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. For sure. Archbishop, I know since the last time we've spoken, um, unfortunately, a lot of un, uh, violence and everything has unfolded in the Holy Land. I know the Archdiocese itself has uh, is home to many with various cultural ties, both to Israel and Palestine. And I know that on your part, you responded uh, with the Pope in asking for prayer and fasting. And uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, leading a, a flock through a time like this, a time of turmoil and, and your decision to kind of support the Pope in that prayer and fasting. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh the Holy Father asked uh, that Catholics throughout the world uh, pray on the 27th for peace in, uh, in the Middle East. And certainly we want to cooperate with uh, the Holy Father's initiative. And so uh, while he was at prayer in St. Peter's uh, Piazza at that very hour, we, uh, I joined with the faithful at uh, St. Aloysius Church to offer the Holy Eucharist for peace and to uh, pray the rosary to Our Lady Queen of Peace. I mean, ultimately, it is by the power of God at work in history that we can come to have peace in the end of violence. And so prayer is, is at the heart of what we can do. You know, it's a good reminder when we see something like the conflict in the Holy Land. I think it just, it really reminds us of our reliance on prayer because it's such a nuanced, difficult, historical uh, division there. And so at least I'm finding the only movement I think I can do is to offer that up to the Lord that he comes swiftly um, with grace and peace in that situation. How does offering mass and rosaries help in situations like this? Well, it unleashes grace into the world, I think, and we need that grace for the reconciliation of hearts. And mm -hmm. we also need that grace to come upon the leaders of nations so that they will come to see uh, a way forward that uh, solutions to evils uh, mm. that will advance the common good. Right. That's helpful. Um, and so we'll continue to pray, I think, just as a diocese. And I know the global community has, uh, has their hearts and minds and prayers focused on that area of the world. Also in early October, you ordained two men to the permanent diaconate, Deacon Cesar Cruz and Deacon David Smith. We had an episode about the permanent diaconate just over a year ago in October 2022. But as a refresher, would you remind us what um, the permanent diaconate is and what a deacon's role is in the church? Well, uh, there have been deacons in the church since the time of the apostles. Uh, we all know the story from the Acts of the Apostles about the establishment of this order, that uh, there was uh, 
even in that early most zealous church, a little bit of friction between uh, the, uh, the widows, the, those in need who were Hebrew-speaking and those who uh, were Greek-speaking Jews but who were Christians. And so the apostle said, uh, this is a lot of work. We've got other things to do higher on a, uh, our mission list, uh, the word of God and prayer. And so they, in, in some ways, my way of thinking about it is kind of a uh, mitosis where uh, they, out of their ministry, they uh, created a very specific ministry of the diaconate. And from that time, it's existed in the church, uh, but uh, especially in the, the Latin church, the Church of the West, the church that looks uh, to our customs to come from Rome. Uh, for centuries, uh, this order was uh, reserved to men who then were going to progress on to the priesthood. At the Second Vatican Council, the fathers said, this uh, should, uh, there should be an opening in the church for men to be given the diaconal ministry who are not going to move on to the priesthood, so hence permanent deacons. I mean, there aren't two, two deacon, two orders of deacon, but there are two paths, one that ends there and the other that moves on to the priesthood. Mm -hmm. And the ministry is typically identified as threefold, uh, ministry of charity, uh, which is uh, from the very beginning. Also, ministry of the word, not only liturgically proclaiming the word, but involved in catechesis and formation. And we see that even in the New Testament where um, C Stephen the deacon uh, mm -hmm. engages in catechesis uh, with his uh, con uh, contemporaries, mm -hmm. making the case that uh, Jesus is the Son of Man who died and rose from the dead. And uh, then, of course, service at the altar uh, and liturgical service. So deacons, besides uh, assisting the priests at Eucharist, uh, are in the Latin church able to baptize and able to uh, uh, witness weddings solemnly. Mm -hmm. But it's always, uh, when I talk about the diaconate, I always try to make, uh, make the case, help people understand that these aren't three distinct pieces. It's not like a salad where sure. you can take the croutons out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah the, these are elements. These are uh, hmm. uh, uh, moments in a whole which uh, have their own essential belongingness together. Right. Oh, that's super helpful. Thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that reminder as we uh, maybe continue to pray for these two men who have uh, chosen to serve the church in this way. Amen. Speaking of men serving the church, I know that obviously uh, we're recording this day on, on a day before uh, Bishop Monforton's Liturgy of Welcome and Inauguration for his ministry here in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Um, I know he'll be acting as a new auxiliary bishop for Archdiocese, and um, I know obviously this episode will be released after the fact of that uh ordination or you know inauguration if you would inauguration um, yeah that's right yeah not ordination be careful <laughs> yeah it's already been ordained right. <laughs> yeah yeah i know uh is there something specific that archbishop i'm sorry bishop Montfortin will be doing in the archdiocese uh, well us? he's going to uh be a uh, a regional moderator and he's going to take over the southern region uh hmm. we're moving uh i've asked 
Bishop Battersby to take over the Northwest region, uh, mm -hmm. Oakland County and up that way. Uh, so Bishop Manforten is moving, moving to the South region, which he tells me his mother's very happy for because he's going <laughs> to be living about three minutes away from her oh, house. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. That's awesome. Very well, that's great. what she thinks. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Time will tell I understand how he feels that about from it. a mother's perspective. So. <laughs> right. That's awesome. And uh, then we're shuffling what I call uh, diocesan wide responsibilities. So, mm -hmm. uh, for example, one of the, uh, the auxiliary bishops assists me in uh, lay organizations, another mm -hmm. one assists me. Uh, when there's work, uh, service to be done to members of, of groups of consecrated life, just for mm. an example. Mm. Um, one of the auxiliary bishops assists me in dealing with uh, and giving pastoral care to guest house. Actually, Bishop uh, Henshin is going to keep on with that. Uh, he's mm. particularly devoted to guest house. Uh, great. He has great uh, appreciation for the ministry at guest house so mm -hmm. so it's uh, the regional responsibilities are shifting and uh, I think uh, something went out in uh, the electronic uh, communication about that but also the diocesan wide responsibilities are shifting mm -hmm. Well, that brings us to kind of our the meat of the podcast today, and we are going to reflect back on Unleash the Gospel today, and in a particular way, we're going to talk about the good habits that were highlighted in this document. If you can remind us as we dig into our discussion, what are the good habits referenced in Unleash the Gospel? Apostolic boldness, a spirit of innovation, docility to the spirit, a spirit of cooperation, Confidence in God, an attitude of gratitude. Mm. Love those. Such a good, uh, all of those are so great to reflect on. But today we're going to talk specifically about the spirit of cooperation. And so as we dig into this conversation, I was hoping that you would give us an overview of what it means to have a spirit of cooperation within the church. Well, I think it means principally that we all work together, that uh, we realize that uh, while each of us might have some particular re responsibility, uh, some particular competence, uh, uh, something that comes in front of us that belongs to us especially to, uh, to attend to in order to share the gospel, advance the kingdom of Jesus. Uh, we're all engaged in the same work. And importantly, we're all engaged in the work of Jesus. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not somehow that uh, a group of Christians have gotten together and created a, a partnership. Uh, it's much more organic. It's, it's about the mystical body. It's about the work of Jesus, which we all cooperate in. Mm -hmm. uh, so that the victory of any one of us, the achievement of any one of us, is really the achievement of all of us, because mm -hmm. it's ultimately the achievement of Jesus at work in us. Mm -hmm. As your time uh, working as the Archbishop of Detroit specifically, what, what would you say are some of the biggest obstacles you see regularly facing us uh, in that spirit of cooperation, or what we would just generally see in the church, in, historically speaking, when it comes to some of the obstacles that we face in that regard? Original sin. Mm. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. All, yeah. we all tend to, uh, we all tend to uh, be beguiled by selfishness and mm. uh, yeah. the thought that... Uh, well, this is mine, and uh, I'm going to protect mine. 
and I, I can manage it for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, pettiness, uh, competition. Competition is very significant for us as Americans. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From the er- early get-go, we're taught to be competitive. It's part of the engine of capitalism. And there's, there's room in life for competition, but mm-hmm. competition can't be ultimate. And we right. can tend to be jealous mm. and, and petty, too, of course, uh, to uh, deprecate, to denigrate people's, uh, uh, people's accomplishments. Oh, well, that's not so good. You, you should right. see what I was able to do. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about co- cooperation, uh, obviously, even at a natural level, in any sort of organization, cooperation is essential. I, mm-hmm. I talk to people who work for Fords, work, work at GM, Stellantis, any, anything that's going on around here, they'll tell you that teams and cooperation are essential. Mm-hmm. But in the gospel, uh, cooperation, the natural virtue of cooperation has an even more s- significant foundation. Uh, it, it's based ultimately in the communion of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no competition between those three persons. Sure. They're all right. engaged in, in the work of, of mercy. And in the very beginning, huh. uh, the, Jesus sends the apostles out two by two. Mm-hmm. And uh, another way to think about cooperation is uh, even Jesus himself didn't save us in a solitary manner. He had a, mm-hmm. a co-worker. Oh. Uh, he, his mother was the new Eve. <clears throat> she was her, his uh, uh, co-worker in the work of salvation. Oh. And this is, uh, not only is this an appropriate means for the work of, of uh, evangelization, it's a sign of what evangelization accomplishes because uh, the the fruit of evangelization, the grace uh, that comes from by, uh, accepting the gospel is overcoming pride, pettiness, yep. competition, and jealousy. Yeah. yeah. So the way we so go true. about uh, the mission, the way we go about evangelization is also a proclamation of the goal mm-hmm. of, the, of the good news of the kingdom. Yeah. I was going to ask next about um, the idea of cooperation within a radically mission-oriented church, but I think you just highlighted that so perfectly. And it is interesting to take a moment to think about the cooperation of the Trinity or Jesus's cooperation with Mary, these examples that we have of how mission-oriented work is just illuminated by leaning into each other from God's own creation. He shows us that, right? Exactly. And the... Another point to make very very clear in the way the Catholic Church thinks about grace is that God saves us with our own cooperation. Uh, he gives us the opportunity to be engaged ourselves uh, in cooperating with him. He gives us the opportunity to be co-agents, co-workers with him in the work of grace. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, Archbishop, you mentioned specifically competition. And I know, you know, having worked at a parish for all these years, and you speak specifically about the American concept of competition, I think the thought process is like, oh, if we're succeeding as a parish, then, you know, it's got to be to the detriment of maybe some other parish, because we might be pulling parishioners from another location or another place, or we have to do it better than them. And is that is that kind of um, that sense of parish competition that's 
you know, present, I think, sometimes in the American church. I don't have a pulse on the international level of that. Is that something that's just kind of more American, or is that something that's everywhere within our church, Archbishop? I don't know if you have a pulse on that yourself, but... I do not, Michael. I, uh, I don't know enough about parochial life in uh, uh, Japan to tell you whether it <laughs> right. exists there or right. whether it exists in Kerala or uh, yeah. uh, in uh, Bangladesh. Sure. But... Uh, I know it's part of a, the American way of life. Uh, mm. I watched uh, a few minutes of football yesterday, and I thought, well, yeah, this is what we're taught. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, from, uh, you know, from the beginning about being competitive. Yeah. And, it, and it has, there are many good fruits that come from it, but like mm. any good thing, it can be uh, tainted by being right. brought, taken to an extreme. It's kind of got that shadow side, right, where it's at the detriment of, of another and stuff. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. Well, I know six years following the Synod, uh, what are some of the ways that you've particularly seen us doing and living out that spirit of cooperation within the Archdiocese of Detroit, uh, obviously flowing from the Synod itself? Anything specific that comes to your mind that you see that you're, you're really excited about? I think uh, something that is really a blessing uh, that I have seen are the families of parishes that uh, do you, Mary likes the word lean into. They are <laughs> leaning, <laughs> leaning yeah. into their identity as a family. The yeah. team of priests are cooperating, they're working together, mm -hmm. and uh, they are uh, giving good direction to uh, uh, the uh, mission support uh, directors and uh, the mission, uh, those, those who are uh, involved in the mi directly in the mission, uh, working together to, uh, to advance the kingdom. I, I see it happening. And you know, one of the things that was really remarkable was uh, in, uh, in the late uh, spring, the early summer, we had the uh, uh, Missionary Renewal Assembly I think that mm -hmm. was a very good example of uh, yeah. people coming together and a sense of uh, leaders from out throughout the diocese uh, having a sense of building one another up and, and being co-workers. When we talk about families of parishes, how essential do you see the spirit of cooperation in this process to help us be successful at this idea of working together? Well, Mary, it's absolutely indispensable. It yeah. won't work without this commitment to uh, support one another. What comes to my mind is uh, St. Paul's line, bear with one another's burdens and so you will uh, fulfill the whole law. We are facing very significant challenges in the, in the years ahead. And uh, we will be crushed by those challenges if we don't uh, cooperate and support one another. And so I think cooperation, you know, is very practical on one level, things that we can do together and we must do together or they won't get done. But also I think uh, it's not just about doing, it's about uh, accompanying, as Pope Francis would put it. Uh, it's about sustaining one another, encouraging one another. It would be, uh, it'd be so easy to be disheartened if uh, we, we don't have that uh, mutual support and sense of uh, being on the path together. 
I know Archbishop, you already kind of mentioned specifically the Trinity, obviously, and then you even mentioned kind of going out two by two. But are there any other specific uh, scripture or or um, moments in the gospel or kind of moments in church history where we can kind of look at and learn from uh, Jesus himself or God or the church uh, in that demonstration of that spirit of cooperation? Well, certainly uh, I'd go back uh, to the apostles being sent out two by two, the 72 also sent out two by two. Um, you know, one of the themes in send, the uh, Unleash the Gospel is that we're engaged in writing the 29th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. So we look at what happens <clears throat> in the Acts, uh, the way uh, uh, Paul went about the ministry, and he very much was engaged in cooperation Paul and Timothy, Paul and Silvanus, Paul and Luke. Uh, if there was ever somebody who um, might have been able to be uh, a lone ranger, it would be uh, Paul of Tarsus. But he wasn't. Mm. Uh, he was. Uh, he, he very much was uh, engaged in the team. Now he was mm -hmm. the leader of the team, certainly, mm -hmm. but uh, he. He all he throughout the acts and throughout his letters he speaks about uh, uh, the brothers and and the sisters too Lydia mm -hmm. uh, who were his co-workers. It's funny when I um, when I think about the spirit of cooperation we can talk about it kind of in a. Um, like a philosophical sense, but it is interesting to think of my own time in ministry and the times where I think we found the most success in the programs that we've done are when we cooperate together. So, um, you know, in the youth ministry world, there's been, there's the Detroit Youth Ministry Association. And when we come together and we network and we talk to one another in a spirit of freedom and trust, we get ideas and excitement and energy. And it's just so um, mm -hmm. obvious through the fruits of the work that we're doing that living in the spirit of cooperation is is what God desires for us. You know, Mary, when uh, hearing you talk and knowing your vocation in life uh, as a, a leader in a domestic church, it occurs mm -hmm. to me that that's one more thing we can talk about for uh, the life of the church and huh. cooperation in mission and ministry yeah. is the cooperation of uh, mother and dad, husband and wife yep. in the domestic church. Mm -hmm. uh, there needs to be cooperation there uh, in uh, building up the domestic church as a, as a place for the presence of Christ. Yeah. Mm. And you know what that made me think about? I love when you point out the domestic church because there is this need for cooperation. But when uh, Mike was talking earlier about the challenges, oftentimes when we find ourselves just in our own my husband and i in our own little reality of family when we find each ourselves being quick to snap at each other or um uh, no you know no, angry no, no, never never <laughs> quick to anger with each other but when that happens oftentimes both him and i will say we need to go to confession as a family right so when you talk about original sin being you know why sometimes the spirit of cooperation is so difficult i know that when we feel off in our family, when we go to reconciliation, it does reset us. And I think that is that grace to live out the vocation, right? Present in being able to eradicate sin from our lives, which is so present, I think, in the domestic church in a lot of unique ways. So it's interesting to think of it that way. Well, you, you know, you've asked about scripture. Uh, mm -hmm. And Mary, your comment leads me to go back to, uh, to as Pope John Paul would say, the beginning. And you see the breakdown of cooperation 
right at the beginning mm. when uh, uh, Adam blames Eve and then Eve blames somebody else. That uh, mm -hmm. this uh, slip into into uh, the breakdown of communion. Mm -hmm. Very right. You see it as the very first fruit of yeah. uh, of the sin of the originating yeah. sin. It's well, so even before that part of the account, uh -huh. we have Adam and Eve hiding from God. Mm -hmm. Their uh, attempt to be solitary. My hmm. priest secretary uh, often quote Father Tomasicki often quotes mm -hmm. uh, Venerable Fulton Sheen. Mm -hmm. uh, God mm -hmm. unites, the devil divides. Right, mm -hmm. right. And right there is kind of the essence of everything we're talking about. Um, Mike, I know that uh, your family of parishes, you work closely at Our Lady of Sorrows with St. Fabian, right? And other parishes as well. And it does seem like your team is leaning in just from an outside perspective to this spirit of cooperation. Can you speak to that, like practically on boots on the ground? What does that look like for you in a parish working together with other parishes? Um, I would say admittedly, we definitely have room to grow. Sure. We could definitely do do better with it. I know that there has been, more than anything else, I think some of the staff, it's been... Um, uh, baby steps. It's been more, mm -hmm. you know, some of our staff have, have reached out and collaborated with and just uh, had conversations with some of the people on their staff. And I think it's it's just kind of being of one philosophical mind, just kind of like, mm -hmm. hey, do we look at and approach ministry in a similar fashion? And do we have a similar um, mindset around the methodology by which we go about ministry? And so some of those conversations have been had. And then obviously just kind of sharing some events back and forth so far, we've done that. But um, I think there's still a, a lot of room for growth for, mm -hmm. for us collaborating mm -hmm. moving forward. And I think, and I'm sure that will happen. Uh, but I think, you know, it's kind of in the, the baby steps stages right now, which is kind of the, any, any initial relationship, you're kind of getting to know one another and right. kind of feeling each other out and seeing how things go. You know what I mean? Sure. That's kind of where we're at still, I would say. And I think that's, that's true for a lot of parishes within this uh, family of parishes set up. So you know? if we can go back to the marriage analogy, you're mm -hmm. kind of in the courtship phase? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Kind yeah. Of, we're kind of just dating right now, you know, and uh, <laughs> seeing how it's all going. Right, see how it's going to work But out. we know we're on the path to marriage, so it's dating knowing that you're set up to be married together, you know? So <laughs> arrange marriage, if you would. Right, yeah, yeah, I love that. Bishop, is there anything else that you want to offer on this topic? Well, I'd like to offer my witness uh, sure, yeah. about yeah. Uh, uh, cooperation. Uh, for me, one of the most important forms of cooperation in my ministry is with the, the regional moderators, uh, they, along with the, uh, the vicar for clergy and the vicar general, and I have Monsignor Zenz along as a very uh, astute, uh, wise a elder in the life of the diocese, we make up what we call, what I call the Episcopal Council. And mm -hmm. most every Monday we, we meet, and our work as a team is indispensable for me to be able to fulfill my ministry. Hmm. We minister together. That's very important. Yeah. Another uh, example I would offer for uh, cooperative ministry, I've number of times the rector at the seminary, Father Steve Burr, has told me how much he appreciates the uh, very uh, powerful cooperation, the collaboration of uh, the, the faculty, especially the priest faculty at the seminary. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, 
And uh, I, I think often about the, the priests at the seminary as, to my mind, setting a standard for what uh, the priests in the parish, in the, uh, the family teams, can accomplish mm -hmm. because in some sense it is a challenge not to just do it yourself mm -hmm. uh, you know that that's always the way I, I think about that a lot of, you know well something needs to be done I'll just do it and get it done with yeah mm -hmm. but uh, that you're missing a grace that way when mm -hmm. we can do things together it takes a little more effort but sure. the fruit is all the all the sweeter I think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, such an important topic and a, I think a lot to sit with. And it's a good opportunity, I think, for the faithful, those of us that work for the church and those of us in the laity, our domestic churches, to take some time examining our conscience and where are we at with our spirit of cooperation and what are the areas that we can easily um, choose to uh, fall into sin uh, by not being intentional with rooting out the, the parts of us that are prideful or jealous or petty so that we can live this spirit of cooperation more um, boldly. Think and, and to remember that it, while it has many practical implications, it's ultimately about imitating Christ himself and uh -huh. his way to glorify the Father. Yeah, so good. Well, the next thing we get to move on to is questions from our listeners. The first two questions today came in birthday cards sent to the Archbishop from kids <laughs> living in the Archdiocese of Detroit. And so I'll ask the first question and let you answer and then ask well, the second one. Well, before we go to that, Mary, I wanted to, I saved also this card yeah. from uh, a kindergartner, and I just wanted to, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> to mention it. It's yes. uh, four very short declarative sentences. Uh-huh. <laughs> You are the best, exclamation point. You are cool, exclamation point. You are good, exclamation point. I love you. And then actually there's a fifth. Yay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so sweet. Uh, that so is, I, yeah. I've been keeping that one on my desk. Yeah. It's very affirming. To, yes, I used to have a folder that I would keep um, in my office when I worked in parish ministry, and it was it was titled "Need a Little Love." So on those hard days in ministry, <laughs> I would pull out little things. That's a that's a definitely a need a little love card whenever you need a reminder mm -hmm. of the good that you're doing. So that's awesome. <laughs> All right. So our first question in the birthday cards asks, "What made you close with God?" Well, I would say. The Holy Eucharist, the most blessed sacrament, both uh, in the celebration of the Mass and uh, in adoration. Mm -hmm. From early in grade school life, uh, this has been particularly the way I feel attracted to God. Mm -hmm. and, and I owe a lot of that, oh, my awareness and my openness to that, to... Uh, the sisters who taught us in Immaculate Conception in Anchorville. The second question asked in the birthday cards, and I love this one, who was your biggest cheerleader? Well, I've thought about that, and I think it depends on how old I was at, at what uh -huh. particular time in my life, yeah. who was my cheerleader. <laughs> uh, to be good and uh, just to be happy in life, I would say my grandmothers were my cheerleaders when I was <laughs> uh, pre preschool. 
yeah. uh, in uh, grade school, and, and of course my parents all the way mm -hmm. through. Mm -hmm. But in, in grade school, it was the sisters, especially mm -hmm. a, a sister named Sister Jane Frances Miller, mm -hmm. who I think saw something good in me, and she was very strong in encouraging it. Oh. In um, high school seminary, it was a priest named Father Thomas Kerwin, mm -hmm. who was very encouraging to me. In college seminary, it was uh, Monsignor Bill Scherzer, who was very encouraging. Um, my first pastor, oh, and all th especially in theology, my graduate studies, my classmates were, were hmm. we were cheerleaders to one another. Hmm. Um, in my first assignment, my first pastor, Father Dan Campolo, was very much a cheerleader. Hmm. So, and it's been that way always going forward, I would say. Yeah. Right now, you know, my biggest cheerleader is, is Cardinal Maida. Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> I love that. He's really nice. always very encouraging. That's great. What a good kind of spiritual exercise, too, to think about the people that God has put in our lives to encourage us maybe in a particular way to follow the path of sanctity, the ones that see something in us and then keep us encouraged and going. That's It's a it's a cool thing to think about and reflect. So thank you for being willing to share kind of each of those seasons mm. and the people that were building you up during those seasons. Really beautiful. Yeah. And besides Cardinal Midas, it sounds like that one kindergartner is really cheerleader for you right now. <laughs> exactly. that, <laughs> that kindergartner goes to the front yeah. of the list. I love yeah. it. <laughs> Archbishop, we have a, a third and final question for you, too. This was previously submitted by Michael in the 10th grade, and he asks, uh, how is the Catholic Church different today from when you, were first, when you first became a priest or from when you were a child? From when I was ordained a priest in 1975, uh, things are much more settled in the life of the Church and a lot more clarity and a common mind about what we're about and how, how to be about the work of, of the kingdom of God. I find the church is much more at peace than it was uh, almost 50 years ago. From when I was a child, uh, the church today is not at all as uh, settled a social reality as it was when I was a child. When I was a kid, if I recall the statistics I've read, uh, especially early in my years in grade school, so 54, uh, I think 75% of the Catholic people were at Mass every Sunday, and that mm. is just way different today. Yeah, And uh, that's not just a difference about the Catholic Church, that's a difference about Christianity uh -huh. and religion in general in the yeah. United States. Uh, the culture has become much more secular. Mm. Uh, I've said before on the on the podcast, uh, I use very much Father John Ricardo's line that we've lost uh, our uh, uh, wallpaper. Mm. Uh, we mm -hmm. d we're not in a Christian culture. And right. so the work of the church is very different. And that's what I, we get at with the phrase, we, we have to move from maintenance to mission. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, a, that's very different for the life of the church today. And the other thing I would say to every 10th grader who, who, like Michael, thinks about these things, is by the time you're 75 years old, it's going to be way different again. Uh -huh. yeah. But it'll still be the church, Jesus will still be the Lord, mm -hmm. and we will still have the 
immortal spirit of uh, the third person of the Trinity. Archbishop, thanks so much for sharing all your thoughts today on uh, the spirit of cooperation. Really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if you had any specific prayer intentions that we can be keeping in mind and praying for uh, for you this next month. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, this is the month of the Holy Souls, so let's particularly pray for people who might still be in their purification, but have nobody left who remembers them, and mm -hmm. we can pray for them. And Archbishop, if you wouldn't mind closing us with a prayer and blessing. Lord God, we give you praise and thanks for your many good gifts, especially for the blessings we've had in the time of this co uh, uh, conversation. We give you praise and thanks for those who will listen to our conversation and be moved to love you the more. And we put all of our aspirations in the hands of Our Lady. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of you and remain with you forever. Amen. Thanks, Archbishop. Thank you. You're very welcome. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoy listening, you might also enjoy Detroit Stories, a podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.